0: Welcome to episode five, where we talk to Cindy Crumb, founder and CEO of Mobile Moxie. So get your popcorn, find a comfy chair, and get dialed in for some candid SEO conversations. I'm your host, Jacob Stoops, and this is the Page Two Podcast. If you're looking for an SEO podcast where you get every trick in the book, this is not the podcast for you. In this podcast, we tell the personal stories of some of the industry's brightest minds, we discuss what life as an SEO is really like from an insider's perspective, swap stories about our greatest triumphs, failures, hopes, and frustrations, and we even go off script to talk about movies and pop culture. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some candid SEO conversations. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode five of the Page Two podcast. So glad to um, to have you here for our fifth episode. We are officially off and running and we've interviewed some really great guests so far. And today we are going to talk to Cindy Crum, the CEO and founder of Mobile Moxie. And the interesting thing about how I came to have Cindy on this podcast uh, is that the SEO community is, it's both a big and a really, really small place. And you can follow somebody's career, whether it be through Twitter, LinkedIn, through search engine land, and all of the publications and content that people produce. And you can follow people's careers without actually having ever met them. And From that, from those interactions and that following, you can really garner a respect uh, based on the content and the ideas and the creativity that you see people put out. And I have been following Cindy Crum and Mobile Moxie uh, for quite some time. I was actually uh, referred to her by Brittany uh, Muller of Moz, who is somebody else uh, that I think is a really bright uh, star within the SEO industry, Uh, and unfortunately, she she did not necessarily have the capacity to come on, but I I would love to have her in the future. Uh, but she did refer three really, really great people, uh, and one of them was Cindy. Uh, and it just so happens, like I said, that I had followed Cindy's career and had planned to reach out <laughs> to her eventually. Um, but yeah, so it was really awesome. Cindy and I had a really, really great discussion, got really deep into mobile and technical and structured data and speakable, which, which aligns really well with Google's new, new recommendation uh, regarding s- using speakable markup for Google Home Hub and, and uh, the voice search strategy. So without further ado, let's bring on Cindy. Part one, the life
1: what was your position? Is, a, I was a soldier. So what, I'm a person. What is that? a butt. No, I don't know. me. When the boss says push a button, on a guy. I push a button.
0: So we are here with Cindy Crumb, the founder and CEO of Mobile Moxie. Cindy, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for joining me. And um are you're in Denver, right? Denver, yeah. So it's not quite so late for you, but it's still right in the middle of what is supposed to be your evening, which makes it extra special that you decided to um to come on with me. So I really appreciate that. It's awesome.
1: Happy to be here. It's way better than a 5 a.m. podcast. Right, tell you. right,
0: right. So a 5 a.m. pot. Where would somebody be doing a 5 a.m. podcast from like Europe, maybe? Yeah, Europe. Wow. OK, that's that's crazy. Yeah, this is way better than a 5 than a 5 a.m. So uh, only interrupting your dinner. Hopefully. not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. Cindy, so take me back and take me back to the beginning, um, probably even before Mobile Moxie. How did you get into SEO? How did you become an SEO?
1: Well, um, let's see. When I graduated, um, I wanted to be a graphic designer, but my degree didn't include any web. It included like one web design project, but no HTML. Um, and that's all anyone was hiring for, but I was mostly trained to be a print graphic designer. So I quickly, yeah, <laughs> schools need to keep up. Right. Um, so I quickly bought a HTML for a dummies book and started teaching myself HTML so that I could get a job. Me too, wow,
0: that's crazy.
1: And so I was building um, really, really crappy websites in front page at the time. Did you build in front page?
0: No, I built in in WordPress. I built in WordPress. That was my first, and I still build in WordPress, but um, I did not build in front page. I, I did do Dreamweaver.
1: I did a little bit of Dreamweaver, but front page was so easy, actually. Once you understood how to make a table, if you knew Microsoft products, you were golden. And I was really well-versed in Microsoft products. So, Uh, so yeah. So, I did that. But then, all of a sudden, um, the clients for the company that I was working for, the clients came back and they were like, our websites aren't ranking in Google. Can you figure it out? And so, I was tasked with figuring it out. And that was write a couple of years in on Jill Whalen, writing her weekly Wednesday newsletter about SEO. And it was, it covered PPC as well at the time. Uh, and so that's how I started.
0: So how did you, how did you go from that to Mobile Moxie?
1: Um, let's see. So I, I left the job where I was building websites and doing SEO to just do SEO. Mm-hmm. And at that new job at a small agency in Denver, um, one of the first things that happened is they'd given me a nice job with a bit of a raise and I had a little bit of extra money. So I bought my first semi-smartphone, like my first web-capable cell phone, um, and started doing searches and that's when I got into mobile SEO because I was like, why are these search results so different? Why are they so bad? And I figured I couldn't change Google, but I could at least communicate to people who are building mobile sites about SEO so that the results could, do, could get better. So that's kind of I, I knew enough about HTML and I knew enough about SEO that I was like I see what these people building the mobile websites are doing wrong and I, maybe if they knew it they would do a little bit better and then Google would have more meaningful rankings.
0: So did you start out um, trying to remember when responsive design? I feel like it's very close, but I feel like you were also I think I I looked at the website, and I think it said 2008, which I think was slightly ahead of the curve um, with respect to mobile adoption. Um, Did you start out building mobile sites or were you building responsive sites? Or like, how are you doing in apps?
1: So I was, uh, when I was first looking at mobile SEO, it was basically for WAP and mobile specific websites. It wasn't responsive. I was talking about responsive design, but it didn't have a name yet. Uh, So I was calling it, I was explaining that you can use CSS instead of creating a separate mobile site, you can use CSS on your desktop site to to make things fit on mobile screens. Uh, But I was explaining that in a nuts and bolts kind of way before it had the name responsive design.
0: So how has Mobile Moxie then evolved since since you started? Uh,
1: It's interesting because it's it's evolved um, in some ways a lot and then in some ways not a lot. Uh, So the company started uh, with just me. So, I left the first job for a second job and then I left that job to start Mobile Moxie and it was just me for many years doing consulting and then when I had extra money I would pay um, developers to work on my tool set uh, or improve the website but I didn't have any kind of real full time um, help or or anything. It was just me Um, until about 2010-2011 2010, 2011, um, when I started working with one developer quite regularly, um, and I hired an assistant, but they were both part time. And then I think I hired the first full time person in 2013 or 14. Um, and we've we've kind of fluctuated in headcount, mostly just I due to you know people changing changing jobs and stuff like that, all the normal stuff, but also I haven't actually ever looked for employees very much. I've I've hired one person that we really looked for, but everyone else just kind of showed up and they were like, hey, I'm great and I want a job. And I was like, you seem great. And so I've just kind of (laughs) casually hired people like blue, I call it bluebirds. They just kind of showed up and wanted a job at the right time. And I was like, I have stuff you can help with. Wow. so so when that happens when that happens a lot all at once the headcount got as high as i don't know if you include part time people 7 or 8 um so that's but it's it's actually still a very small company and now if you include part time people we have probably about 5
0: and do you guys um you do consulting full seo engagements do you do you build I'm, I'm assuming you probably be build mobile sites now for people or responsive sites now for people no
1: we've never built
0: oh really Um, yeah
1: and we actually uh we do we're heavy on the consulting side and and light on the implementation side the way i explain it is we we do a lot of this and not a lot of this um so on the audio version like we do a lot of talking and not a lot of typing (laughs) which is not not entirely true. We do a lot of typing in terms of internal documentation and helping clients like write up strategies or write up internal uh, communications uh, and guidelines, stuff like that. But We're not actually link building. We're not, we sometimes write title tags and edit things that go online, but we don't actually touch anyone else's WordPress, things like that.
0: Yeah, so that so one of the common themes the the first couple of episodes has been about the differences between agency versus in-house and I've I've experienced both. I've been in-house twice and agency now for the third time and I seem to gravitate more towards agency side but there are gives and, and takes with with both, right? On the agency side, I think we are definitely a lot more uh, in line with what you're doing in terms of providing kind of the the direction, the strategy, and the consultancy, but because we don't own the websites and in many cases don't have access, we can't force people to do what we what we want them to do so part of the part of the time or actually a lot of the time is spent trying to figure out ways to get clients to do what you want them to do, whereas when you're in house it's as simple it's as simple as um you know, just going and going and getting it done. And it's a little bit easier, but that comes with its trade-offs for, at least for me personally, in that I, when I was in-house, it was, my team was so much smaller and I honestly felt like, um, I, there was, there was nobody else to talk to, to talk to in terms of people like other SEOs that understood me. So I, I have enjoyed the camaraderie of being on the agency side, even though I have to be a bit more, patient (laughs) so not sure not sure if that's how you feel or not but that's that's been my experience
1: so we um i like to think of us as a, a delightful mix of both because we're such a small company, I don't consider us an agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I call us a consultancy. Yep. Um, and the bright line for me is we don't have account advisors or account admins or whatever. When you're working with someone from Mobile Moxie, it's always direct to the expert. It's not some junior guy who's just you know managing emails, a uh, guy or girl uh, who's just managing emails. So no account reps. Always straight to the expert. Expert, um, and the way that the way that our contracts are normally written is to think of us like a member of your in-house SEO team because we tend to not be hired by companies that don't already have an in-house SEO. Mm-hmm. Where we market ourselves a little bit as SEOs for SEOs. So we're when you have big projects, complicated projects, especially, of course, mobile projects. Mm-hmm. Um, We come in and support existing SEO resources.
0: Okay, so you're like uh, an extension of their team.
1: Yeah, if they need to staff up temporarily for a migration or to launch an app or to launch a new mobile offering, transition to some kind of new mobile thing, uh, that's really our bread and butter
0: so tell me so i want to get into some of your i'm sure you have lots of lots of war stories tell me about um, a great success and also a great failure
1: let's see so we have really stringent um contracts and i'm generally not allowed to talk about um anything with any brand name in too much detail Um, I can tell you that um, more than once um, we've been brought in to do an app launch or to do um, audits. And at the end of the audit, um, we've been told that we were the best, most thorough consulting company or consultants that the people had ever met Mm -hmm. i know that's not um that's not like we ranked number one for something but that's like i i i'm much more proud of people being happy with the work than like getting a ranking because that can be gamed but impressing people in reality is harder to game
0: yeah no absolutely it's all about the the relationships and um yeah i would say that that's reminds me of me, because I, I would say on my tombstone somebody will probably write, he was thorough, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> That's probably will write about me, so preach to the choir, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so stuff like that is what makes it all worthwhile, um, and also I can tell you that um, we have uh, long-term clients that have been, that, that we've worked with for probably more than six years, Um, like we've worked with consistently since they started six years ago Um, and that people at big companies will sell internally and say, you have to work with Mobile Moxie if like different brands have different budgets. Mm -hmm. The central team will be like, we work with Mobile Moxie and all of you brands also need to write your separate contracts with Mobile Moxie. But also I'm working with um, people who've moved jobs um, more than once. And every time they move jobs, they'll try and like, bring me in because it's just like a known quantity They just like hire Mobile maxi because they're going to do great work and we don't need to waste time looking. Um, and so, and that, you know, warms my heart. Like we just did a kickoff call this morning with someone that I met in 2011 that I worked with. Um, and so that's a long time ago. You know that this person remembered working with with me, and and that it was a good experience. And he was just like, "We don't need a, a very detailed proposal. Just tell us what it's going to cost, and let's get started."
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. That that's been another common theme in the um, in the first couple of episodes with respect to, and now the these were more like, "Hey, this awesome tactic." Like I remember Sal Sura. That Angie's list got uh, got them to work site speed requirements into the technical like check process, checklist process. So like no page could go live or no update could be made unless it loaded in like two seconds on a 3G connection. And I was like, Well, I've I've had the toughest time getting people to take site speed seriously. How'd you do that, Sal? And and really it was a result of having uh, really good internal relationships and even more importantly, an internal stakeholder and not, not stakeholder, but a champion. Um, and it seems like it's really, really even more important than the tactic itself, important to develop relationships with yeah. people that sometimes even carry on. And we see that at search discovery when um we've developed a relationship with somebody and they move it's the same same thing if you develop good relationships good things will come even when they go somewhere else so
1: yeah definitely. absolutely well and i've made i've been lucky enough to make lifelong friendships too where even yeah. if people aren't looking to hire anyone to help with seo i know wives and husbands and kids at this point so you know that's uh, That's another thing that that kind of warms my heart and makes everything worth it.
0: So one of the purposes of of this podcast, not to be glass half empty, is the flip side of that and letting other SEOs know, hey, this has happened to some of the brightest people in the industry. So what's the, and I know you can't go too far into detail, but what is, uh, I guess, a situation where it was a little bit more challenging and um, maybe more of a struggle? failure, oh, shit moment, (laughs) and
1: something like that. The worst thing that happened that taught me, like, the biggest lesson um, ever, and it's before I started Mobile Moxie, when I was working at the agency. Um, We were doing a migration, did the migration, and um, explained in detail, laborious detail, about doing the 301s correctly, that they couldn't lump and dump 301s all to the homepage or something like that. And so we created a mapping document. Um, It was an international site, so it was very in-depth migration um, and mapping. Handed that off. The developers um, said, yep, we got it done. It's all happening. Don't worry about it. And we were like, great, thank you. And then a month later, the site just dropped out of rankings. It, it had been in position one, two, and three for like all the terms we cared about. Um, even during migration, there was only a, a one or less week dip, um, which back in those times, like migrations could really take you out for, that was that was in the early 2000s. Migrations could take you out for three months. Yeah. But it didn't. It was like a month or a week or something like that dip and then a recovery. Um, but then it dropped out off the map 30 days, at 30 days to the day after the migration had launched. We couldn't figure out, couldn't figure out. And eventually, in this panic, I was talking to the developers and I was like, you did 301s. Right. And he was like, Yeah, we did redirects. And I'm like, You did 301s, right? And they had done 302s. And the three oh twos had just had a 30 day expiry in Google's mind. Yeah. And yeah. and he was like, all redirects are the same. And I was like, No, 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 they're absolutely not the same. And so the lesson there, kids, is don't trust I, I, I'm going to get a bad reputation for being hard on developers because a couple podcasts I've said stuff like this, but don't trust developers. <laughs> Verify. Yes. Uh, Check because, their work. because people, it's a whole different world when you're building sites. Developers, what I've learned deep in my core is that developers are great because they make things work, but that's what they care about is making things work, and to to this The 302, even though it wasn't intended, you know, to be a permanent redirect, it worked just like a permanent redirect, so why care about the difference between the 301 and the 302? It would still work and get the traffic, and so he never bothered to understand that there was a difference, or when I said 301 a billion times, he was like, it's a redirect, whatever
0: yeah i've um I've experienced that before um where you, you you trust that a developer has done something something right and you end up getting burned and it's not because the developer is an inherently bad person or like intentionally disobeyed it's just that they've got a lot of stuff going on going on right. too and they've got this big list and they're just trying to knock things off the list. But what I have learned is you have to check their work always um always validate and um not not only that that you have to inherently understand just how developers operate not to like stereotype but in my experience when they're done with something they're done and they're moving on to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing and, and they're not checking the work so if you don't check the right. work nobody does and
1: right and and i think i'll agree with that and add on that what i've what i've learned and of course this is perhaps stereotyping a little bit, but many of the developers I've worked with, like you said, they like to be done and move on to the next thing and to do that, Um, their, their world and their understanding of websites and Google and, and all these things is very black and white. Yeah. Um, when as SEOs, we know that there's shades of gray and yeah, some of your stuff might be getting indexed, but it's not getting indexed properly and you're not getting crawled properly. And so uh, something that I still find all the time is talking to developers about like XML sitemaps. They're like, we give them the XML sitemap. They have all the URLs. It should be fine. And they think that like, this is the list. Here you go, Google. Thank you. You're welcome. Goodbye. You know, and, and, and then when you show them like, yes, it's included in your sitemap, but there are still problems and it's not getting indexed correctly. Their minds are blown, right? Like it's, you hit a does not compute wall. Um, and, but that's also a good wall to hit because it says like, this is the value of SEO because there's Mm -hmm. nuance in here. And if it was as easy as just giving a list, we would be all out of jobs.
0: Yeah. And I, I found that for some reason, not sure why there's, there's a a healthy amount of skepticism in the developer community or misconceptions, um, about what we do, why we do it, the process. A lot of people just think it's meta tags and Hey, put some keywords in there and, and, and we're good or sprinkle fairy dust or what, you know, whatever. Um, so it's, yeah. it's really healthy to be able to show them the the impact and show them the value, tell them the why, educate, so on and so on and so forth. Um, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because I've run into it from time to time and not not intentionally or not because I like to, to be like this. But have you ever, not even just with developers, but with clients, has it ever turned into a bit of an adversarial relationship?
1: Yes, so so what right. you just said reminded me of one of my biggest like, oh shit moments, <laughs> is um, uh, probably five or six years ago, um, I was brought into a company that, by someone who I'd worked with for many years, but brought in to deal with a new team and the team was doing a full redesign and they were launching the redesign and a URL migration at the same time. And the redesign was taking a really static, like basically table based site um, and turning it all into whizbang JavaScript with minimal text and especially minimal visible text behind tabs and, and stuff like that and they had been ranking really well but the old design was clunky and not how they envisioned the brand and so i had been brought in as an seo to help with the migration and i flew out to new york for a meeting and i'm sitting in this room full of of people and we had had some preparatory calls, and I'd been giving them feedback about the JavaScript, saying, "Listen, we need the JavaScript to degrade gracefully, and we need text there. You can't just delete all the text, all this stuff." And um, when we sat down, someone walked around the room and handed out the contract that we had, and this was a like what this has never been happened to me before, but this was a contract readout. By the lead developer because he, he was like, we hired you to do SEO and you're trying to be a developer and we're going to read through your contract to show you what you're not doing in your contract Great. because you were hired to write to be an SEO, which means writing title tags and doing keyword research and like the person who had brought me in was there and we were just both like floored and beside ourselves, like going, okay, let's read the contract. Like, cause I feel very certain that what we're going to do is going to protect you from a huge loss in rankings. Um, and so it was, the whole way through this migration was a, uh, a bit of a, like the contract didn't get canceled, which was what that developer was trying, he was trying to get me fired. Um, that didn't happen. And so I stayed on the project. And it was kind of tense all the way through. Um, and I lost a lot of battles. And so there was a lot of JavaScript and not a lot of text that went live. Um, and they, they tanked when the migration happened. Um, and then they were like, what did we do? What did we do? You told us that it would be fine. And I was like, no, I've told you the whole time it won't be fine. You made me like negotiate and fight and lose all of these battles. I told you what you should have done. You didn't do it. We can, we can try and rebuild, but I never told you that it would be fine. And so for the next year or two, we were rebuilding um, and in the end, I have to put a positive spin on it. Um, in the end, the developer who had tried to get me fired now, when he sees me in the halls of the the office in New York, mm-hmm. I get hugs.
0: Wow, that's that's awesome. That's that is so first uh, full circle. It's not even funny. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. I was just going to ask you, like, gosh if you if you could go back and do it again like one what what do you think causes that what do you think causes people to 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 do that maybe that's like a deeper psychological question and like what can you do as somebody on our side of the the table to make that less of an less of an issue
1: well so here here it's it's not that ephemeral in my mind i know that this developer had been working with an seo from one of the big 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 agencies that we've all heard of Mm -hmm. Um, and this seo was only like writing title tags and meta descriptions and so um they maybe that's all they were paying for i don't know the nature of that contract that i came in to kind of over for um but, but writing title tags and meta descriptions and like copy pasting data from Google Analytics to create a monthly or a weekly report, does not an SEO make, right? That is not anymore. That's not enough to call yourself a, a good or even like, a. it's not a great SEO. It's hardly a good SEO, mm-hmm. Do it, like doing the reporting. This is, this is one of my biggest pet peeves is like reporting doesn't change results. Yeah. And I feel like so many agencies spend all their time generating these reports that no one ever reads.
0: Yeah, that's and true. no
1: one, no, even if they get read, they don't get acted upon.
0: And I would say also trying to figure out how to tell the right story about the reports so that it paints the agency or the team in a favorable light instead of just being straight up honest. With what's going on, whether it's good or bad,
1: yeah, yeah, that's a problem too. So I think that that's what set this situation up is the the lead developer had a very um, shallow uh, understanding of what it was to be successful at SEO and what what an SEO's role on on a team, either an internal team or bringing in a consultant, what that would look like.
0: Yeah, I've seen that before. So to shift gears a little bit, who would you say has been your biggest mentor? Whether it be with your, in SEO or with your business, because I, I come from a bit of a startup angle too, so I know that that in and of itself is a an entire beast as well.
1: Let's see, um, there are so many uh, great people in the industry, so I feel like I've had a lot of mentors. Um, And it's hard to put it all on just one because I'm also very stubborn and a skeptic. So people give me a lot of advice, but sometimes it takes a while for me to to see the light. Um, Some of of the people I've hired have actually been wonderful mentors in terms of learning what it is to be less of a skeptic and less stubborn and more open to to trying new things, uh, and then some some of my employees, I feel like have have really um, taught me the value of different personality types, mm-hmm. um, and which is it might sound trite, but working alone for so many years, um, you get set in your ways and if you have success working alone then you're like this is the way that works and this is the way we're going to do it and it's easy to get locked in to think that there's only one way to be successful um and that's just not true and so I'm I'm, I'm deeply grateful for the mentorship of the people that I work with every day actually um because and and also because they they're in the trenches with me um, we work very, um, as a very active, engaged team. Um, and so all of the successes is, is, is shared. Um, and, and I constantly, I feel like one of the things that I've had to say a lot in my role as the CEO is, is that like, I'm still learning how to be a CEO Mm-hmm. Um to remind people that I'm only human too. Um, and yeah, so so a lot of like co-mentorship um on the team and then other people within the industry, um there are just so many great ones. It's hard to it's hard to 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 settle on even a couple names, but I, I'll have to say that um Rand Fishkin and I have been friends um, since way back in the day um, and he and and actually the rest of his family too his his mom Jillian Geraldine um, even uh, his brother Evan like they they've been uh, kind of a lot definitely along for the Maz ride but also kind of witnessed. Um, the stages that that my company has been through and that I've been through. um, And they've like saved me when my computer got a virus on the road and like, I don't know, dogs sit for me. Like they're just, it's like part of my traveling family. And, and I don't always agree with, with Rand on details about SEO, um, but I always admire uh the way he runs his business um both with moz and then uh now with spark Foro, and the honesty and and integrity that that he approaches everything with. Um so so that but also um a lot of great women uh his mom uh did a great job with Moz. Sarah Bird, uh it seems to be doing really well uh, with Moz. And then and then of course you know, Maz isn't the only uh, game in town. Other people too. But I feel like, in terms of like warm feelings, like almost feeling like family. Um, I feel like Rand and and his family have just witnessed it. Right? They've been around and they've seen the things. And, and I've I've seen how hard he works and uh, stuff like that. So
0: yeah, so and long- I- So that's funny that you say that, and I guess that's probably a typical answer because he's just so well-respected within the industry and so transparent, which is something that for me has really helped me. I was lucky enough to interview him while I was at startups.co, and then he allowed me to use the interview for the first episode of of this podcast, and honestly, I'd never met Rand, never seen him speak, but had followed him. Uh, I mean you almost can't miss him coming up within this industry, and he was paramount to n- not just teaching me um you know with with what he was doing from a content standpoint and kind of shaping how I developed, but um making me realize that like this is a really cool and unique industry to um to be in uh and he's been kind of a great um, kind of go-to resource and it was like the thrill of my life to to be able to interview him so I can I can uh, I, I fanboyed a little bit uh, <laughs> but I'm sure as somebody that probably knows him uh you know knows him more personally um I'm sure that he's he's probably even had a greater impact on on you so yeah he's a great he's one just sure. an
1: all-around awesome dude
0: he just seems like a nice person
1: he is a very nice yeah. person. Sometimes too nice. And I think maybe sometimes too transparent. Those are my worries about yeah. him. Not that not that it's a bad thing, but that I just worry about him as a person. <laughs> as I yeah. care. Like, you need to develop a bit of a shell. Like, yeah. you know, a bit of a protective barrier
0: sometimes. I, I honestly, so I'm, I've been reading his book, and I just think that's just who he is. I just think that's who he is. You just wants to, wants to, to share. And, um, I, I think with some people, it's just, that's who you are. It's who you are. So, so Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't have it any other way. Part two, making your bones. I think um, so moving into the second segment so you gotta gotta make your bones um drop a drop a knowledge bomb tell the listeners something that maybe they didn't know about seo before
1: Uh, Well, Google announced yesterday that Speakable Schema is what's going to get web content to show up on the Google Home Hub. And I've sort of been saying stuff like that ever since Speakable Schema, Q&A Schema, FAQ Schema. I've been pushing that stuff hard because that's how Google's going to have voice results. They can't read you the whole web page. So I felt a little vindicated yesterday. So, uh, yeah, go put Speakable Schema on everything.
0: Yeah, so that has been something that I've been getting into. Um, we've been doing a lot a lot of schema work. A lot of people love their schema these days, and we love recommend, <laughs> recommending it because it's a good thing. Um, but definitely uh, notice that, hey, on web page schema in particular, hey, there's this new field called speakable. There's also this new thing called voice search. Not really new, but uh, maybe right. use, that, use that. So that's been something um, probably for at least the last, I don't know how long it's been out, but six months, eight months, something like that, that I've been like putting into, into all of my schema recs. I think it's super important and super future.
1: uh, And I'll, I'll add in since that's not, that's not that insightful because I didn't
0: write about it. That's actually super insightful because I don't feel like a lot of people are doing it. Um, Yeah. But um, yeah.
1: So here's some other juicy tidbits, things that we're writing about right now, and just things to think about. Uh, I think a lot of people miss how game-changing Speakable Schema is and Voice Search is, because Voice Search has been around, and it's kind of been, like, fizzly, not, like, anticlimactic. Um, Until you show someone, and, and not everyone can do this in their house, but until you show someone how to use their TV remote, with voice search, can you do this? So instead of, instead of like knowing what thousand, what of the thousand channels number is like CNN HD versus CNN regular or whatever, MSNBC, you don't have to know the numbers anymore. You just have to do the, the button and say what you want to watch. And that is as game-changing as cell phones because if you think about it, before cell phones, when we had landlines, you knew everyone's phone number. Mm -hmm. Right? You had all your best friend's phone numbers memorized and you would poke it into whatever phone you're at. Now, since you carry your cell phone around and it has a memory, no one knows anyone's phone numbers anymore. And I think that the voice search on like a TV remote is going to be the same, have the same effect. You're not going to have to know what channel is the number of the channel of CNN or whatever you want to watch. But expand that out. Um, to think about podcasts, videos, anything uh, that you might wanna search for, um, you're not gonna have to know, if Google just shows you the right result, you're not gonna have to know what website it came from. There's no reason for you to know as a consumer, right? So it's getting back, Dono Anderson has been talking about this a lot, it's getting back to like SEO is an extension of branding, but the branding is really, really important because creating content, like creating loads and loads of useless content just to drive rankings isn't going to get you what it used to because like measuring measuring success on just getting the traffic, traffic isn't necessarily good a good brand experience. We need to measure like, the, the engagement, the conversions, like where the, mo- where the rubber hits the road is money spent. And you can spin out as much c- trash content as you want. If people aren't engaging with it, then you're not gonna make any money. Um, and the threshold from an SEO perspective, when you think about voice search or even position zero, the threshold for trash is incredibly low. Um, because Google's working so hard to fine-tune the position zero results, and now there are more and more position zero results, and your top organic blue link might already be halfway down the page. Ranking position one hardly matters if there are five position zero format results above you.
0: Yeah. And for um, those of you who may not know what position zero is, that is the quick answer box that you'll typically see above traditional organic and paid search results showing up more and more and more and more <laughs> and more. Really, really, With
1: more features, really with important. drill down capabilities, with tabs, because it's not just answers. It's also knowledge graph, maps, app packs, um, all these other things that... Mm-hmm. Uh, push the first real organic position so far down.
0: So one question I have, because this has been something I've been debating um, myself, is with respect to speakable schema, what should you make speakable on your page? Um, What what, Do you make it all speakable? Do you make, because I know how you specify typically certain sections, so do you do you do the whole body? Do you do the H1? Do you do, like, what do you, what would you recommend to, to make speakable?
1: Well, so definitely things that are easy to parse, so you can have speakable schema along with other schema. so the ones that I mentioned, FAQ, Q&A, how-to, all of that should have that schema plus speakable, because yep. that's something that would definitely be a good voice result. Um, making an entire article speakable may be good, maybe bad. I don't know. Um, probably it's not going to help you. If you make everything speakable, then you're not highlighting the most important useful parts. Um, and Google will probably ignore it. But something else to, to look at, to understand how Google, I think speakable schema is just a hint, right? Um, of what might be good as a voice result on a page, but Google is also leaning ha- hard, it appears, on um, heading tags, believe it or not, old school stuff. So, if you've done a search recently for um, something like on Stack Overflow, you might notice the, what we're calling fraggles, which is a mix between a fragment and a handle. And this is, this is really important concept. But um, when you do the Stack Overflow kinds of searches in Google, they're showing sometimes a vertical carousel and sometimes a horizontal carousel of answers. Mm -hmm. And you can click through on the answers, and it scrolls directly to that answer. What's important to understand is the carousel of answers that are clickable are all on the same page. And the bookmark, or the thing that scrolls you down to that particular answer, is not hard-coded in the page. Google is now parsing page locations for content and uh, and linking to it multiple times for one page in these kinds of results. Um, so, your carousel may have four different answers that all are associated with the same URL. So, instead of just plopping you at the top of the page, it gets you directly to that answer. This is a fundamental shift, right? Because it is. The, the indexing used to be just one URL at a time, but now it's locations on a page on a URL. Multiple locations on a page are indexable.
0: Yeah. It, so the other the other thing that that makes me think of is how they're moving towards a URL list web, and it kind of seems like that's the beginning of maybe something like that.
1: Absolutely, because if you think about it, they want they want to blur the line between apps and web. PWA um, are often built as single page apps, like kind of like a flash website, all on one URL, just using JavaScript. Right there, Google's now embracing JavaScript. How do you index that? Well, you find the location on this one URL, and you allow multiple locations on one URL to be indexable. Wow! Yeah. Wow. Same thing with a native app. Yeah,
0: that's amazing stuff. Wow. So that means okay. that uh, no more, no more filler content, right? It's all got to be valuable.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the filler content is just going to have diminishing returns, right. Because if if it's low, if it's not the best version of that piece of content, it won't rank number one, and yeah. or it won't even rank. Get it? Won't it? Certainly won't get position zero. Yeah, Um, And I think that we need to start probably acknowledging that different things make you rank in the organic blue links than what make you rank and show up as a position zero answer or have knowledge graph or featured snippet or whatever.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I agree, and I've found that like many, there's there's no one way I feel like to rank for position zero, and uh, almost every search that you want to try to show or topic group of group of search terms that you want to try to show up for or displace somebody, you have to understand like what are the unique features of that particular web page that's making Google pull it into position zero in the first. Right and how can you replicate that in a way that does it better than better than what they're doing so yeah right. it's almost different every time almost
1: well and and creating the same content or very similar content over and over again and say hey we're a recipe site and all of the other recipe sites have a recipe for chocolate chip cookies so we need a recipe for chocolate chip cookies like what is going to make your version of the same essentially the same chocolate chip cookie recipe rank Get a position zero card recipe card or something like that mm-hmm. um, versus the thousands of other existing chocolate chip cookie recipes out there. And would your time bet be better spent? Like, yeah, every probably every recipe site should have chocolate chip cookies, but I wouldn't hang your SEO hat on that. Right? You've got to do something better. And yep. telling our clients the better thing is is to be multifaceted meaning uh to understand that when people are in the kitchen they're us- and cooking wanting to cook chocolate chip cookies the laptop is hopefully away from the mess you would think
0: <laughs> um, sometimes i bring my laptop right into the kitchen so that i can go back and
1: forth and go what what was that recipe right exactly exactly but that's not how people that's not the ideal situation it's not (laughs) what would be ideal is if you had a google home hub that could show you and just keep your page open rather than like you having to wake up your laptop every five minutes Mm. to see the next thing or something that could walk you through audibly the steps say what's the next step so when i say multifaceted what i mean is having um great video content great audio only content like podcasts or speakable markup where it can walk you through the steps so the thing that would make your chocolate chip cookie stand out is how to and speakable schema how to make chocolate chip cookies step one get your ingredients together you know yeah. Look, that absolutely makes sense absolutely. and then a video or an audio version so for instance something we're doing is we're uh we're making audio versions of all of our Blog posts, and um, we are making video summaries of the blog posts.
0: Wow, that's awesome! So, well, that's a good segue. Um, so, what's what's in your tool belt? For example, what do you, what do you use to do that?
1: Well, for the our blog posts. Um, if you've read them, are quite long. And I'm actually, here's a secret, I think one of your questions was like, tell us a secret, so I'm jumping to that. Sure. One of my secrets is I'm dyslexic. Oh, really? Okay. So, yeah, so reading a really long blog post out loud would be possible, but arduous. Uh, a lot of like work and editing for me. So, uh, so we're using uh, something from Amazon Web Services, um, that um, turns text into speech. And it's like, not too bad of a robot voice. It's a little robotic, but it's definitely smoother than having me read it. <laughs> um, and a lot faster. Um, and so we're doing that. And then having me freestyle in a video, um, where like I can talk to you about the blog the the blog post and like what are the key takeaways because I wrote it or I at least edited it. Mm-hmm. So um, allowing me to to talk naturally um, gets kind of both both sides of of the equation. You can have the in-depth long read it out loud to you while you're walking the dog or you can have the quick version um, that and the nice thing about audio or the nice thing about video is it fails to audio, right? like even if you're, you have a video that no one can see, there's still the audio available. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if Google, if, if and how Google is going to leverage video, the audio content of video that they have in YouTube, for instance. So think about like we're using Zoom today, right? Mm-hmm. And isn't Zoom one that you can save, you can save the podcast or you can save the recording as, um, audio only, or
0: yeah, both. that's one of the great things about it is you can you you get the video, but then it gives you audio only, so you can you can have both, which is so you can I, submit the audio
1: only as a podcast and then post the video on your site or whatever stuff like that is absolutely what I think it's going to be to be multifaceted because then if you're if like here are things that the list of things that like. Shady SEO affiliate sites don't have time to do. Create a podcast. Create high-quality video. Um, it used to be links, but then everyone started gaming links, right? But it's much harder to game creating good video content, creating good audio podcast kinds of content.
0: And, and it's much, much more expensive and, and um, takes a lot more uh, man hours to to do that and a lot more work, but it's de- I think it's definitely worth it. And um, you know, I I feel like just the audio and and video was always or not always, but has increasingly become a big thing. But I feel like aud- uh, audio and podcasts and eBooks and those types of things, um, Audible have just exploded over the yeah. last couple of years. And not only that, I mean, if I can create a podcast, anybody like the barrier to entry is as as low as it's ever been. Literally, anybody can do it. Um, you don't have to be well known to to be able to do it. So, um, I surely see that. they Of course, they'll use uh, what they what they put in um in YouTube. I mean, heck, they can they can already auto transcribe it. So, of course, they're going to use that text and maybe even venture even farther. To taking people's podcasts and pulling out particular pieces of and dropping you off like right in the middle of a podcast episode, for example. Why
1: wouldn't they? Because because if like podcasts are so often Q and A. Yep. And. And what Google wants to rank in audio results is answers, right? Yeah. And so if they can, and if you watch Google I.O., you can see their ability to parse multiple speakers who's saying what in a podcast. You know, player one says this, player two says this, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they can parse that already, why would they not? parse each individual question, kind of like the beginning of a fraggle, right? It's, it's yeah. you have to start thinking of Google wanting to parse streams of content rather than find URLs, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, if you've read anything about big data, big data is, uh, let's see, let's see how I remember. The five elements of big data are volume, variety, velocity. Veracity, there's one more. I don't remember the last one. Ver- no, I said that. Anyway, the the one that's in there that's most important is, um, uh, wait, volume, veracity. Oh, it's the one that I forgot. Velocity, velocity. <laughs> Movement, right? Yeah. Big data is all about processing Ongoing streams of data that never stop. Yeah. And so, if you start to think of a podcast as a, a an ongoing stream of data, it stops, but then there's another podcast to process, right? And so they've got to find the individual bits that they want um, to show, and not just like I feel like. For for, since the beginning of SEO, we thought that all we could do was optimize websites and URLs, and I hope that this like is an awakening to say no. You can optimize lots of stuff in lots of different ways, and we don't. We've only been tied to URLs because of Google's limitations.
0: Yeah, it's it's job security. (laughs) It's job security. SEO is never gonna die despite what people say.
1: But, but, but we, we, we optimized URLs because that was all Google could index. Now Google can index much more. And so limiting yourself as an SEO and saying, I only optimize web content, it's kind of like Google's moved on from that. They want to index lots of other stuff. It's limiting.
0: Yeah. Seems like uh, probably a lot of folks in the industry, time to go back to school a little bit in terms of uh, broadening the horizon.
1: For sure. Or at that. least, at least be open to it and not shut it down. Like what terrifies some of the SEOs that I talk about is like, they're like, how do I build links for that? I'm like, you don't.
0: Yeah. You build great content, which is what Google has been saying for a long time and you optimize it. You grease the wheels, make it easy for Google to get to. Yeah. That's SEO. Yeah. Um, so best advice for somebody getting into the industry, what would you tell them?
1: I've always said that that what I think helped me the most was specializing and not being afraid to specialize because there were definitely naysayers going like mobile's too small why would you focus on just mobile um, and I just kind of like in my heart I was like I think it's gonna be a big deal um, and when you specialize there are fewer people to tell you you're wrong there are fewer people who are competing to plant the flag like if you want to say like i'm a an seo that only like specializes in seo for locksmiths whatever or like i'm an seo that specializes in mobile or i'm an seo that specializes in schema Mm-hmm. or or what have you um it's it's much easier to make a name for yourself when you're a specialist it's much much harder to make a name for yourself when you're a generalist
0: yeah no i um i've said that for for many many years um and in the agency world there's there's certainly a, a lot of ladder climbing leveling you know so the, Moving, moving up the, um, up the, up the, up the chart in terms of career spectrum, and one of the things people have asked me is, hey, what can, what can I do? What would you recommend? How do I get, how do I get promoted? How do I, you know, how do I stand out? And that's definitely one of the things that I said. Um, look, over your career, right, you're going to be put into situations where you're going to have to know and be able to play in a lot of different places and know a little bit of everything and be able to hold your water but like you're not truly going to stand out until you pick one of those areas of seo that you just love and just dive in and just do that and be known for that whether it's technical or content or whatever yeah really really good at that so that you stand out um and that's just the advice that I've I've tried to give to other people. Now for me, it's been a double-edged sword because I, I come from a little bit more of a technical background, and um, I get tired sometimes of being bucketed into just being a technical SEO because I'm I think God I'm, I feel like I'm so much more. I can I I can I can do all this other stuff, but then I you know I get the re-platforms and whatnot. So it can be a double-edged sword at a certain point. But when you're starting out, absolutely, so. yeah. For sure. Part 3. Getting Made.
1: We are about to induct you as a member of our family of Kulis Nostrum. That means you are to place this brotherhood above God, above government, above family. you understand? So...
0: Last segment. Want to be respectful of your time, so you have to get made. You got to get made into the Page Two Podcast family. You shared a personal fact, so you're you're um, you're dyslexic. So that's that's a personal personal fact. Um, I I actually grew grew up with somebody um, who was dyslexic, and I never really understood kind of what they were what they were going through personally and how hard that made made things. I'm not sure like I can only explain my perception of the situation because this person was older than me. They were, they were fairly popular, but people, honestly, people thought they were dumb. And, and this is like, I don't know what your journey was like. And that wasn't the case at all. It's just, everything's, everything was backwards. Um, So it's over the years and I didn't know what to think because I didn't really know much about it. I have thought back on that time and over the as the years pass by there are times when I just wish I had more empathy for that for that person so like I don't know if that's been what your experience has been like or how your experience has gone.
1: Well um an interesting fact according to The Economist a couple years ago I remember reading this in The Economist that there's a very high proportion of entrepreneurs that are dyslexic. Really? Yeah and um they think it's because uh dyslexia forces you to be kind of scrappy and uh think a little bit differently, learn a little bit differently um and it conditions you <laughs> to work really hard and try really hard
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah i can imagine i i i mean I, I think about my so my son is five and he's he's learning how to read and He's trying so 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 hard, and I could only imagine what it must be like if everything's just backwards. But then again, if maybe that's all all you all you all you know, um, my wife is my wife is also a triplet. So people ask her all the time, "What's it like to be a triplet?" And she's like, "Well, I've never been any anything else, so <laughs> it's all well, I know." So
1: I, I can add on to that. I'm a twin. Oh really? And yeah, and my, my twin brother is not dyslexic. Um, And being a twin is actually, at least in my family, was a bit competitive um, because you're in the same grade, and so um, you're expected to get roughly the same grades. If one class is hard, you know, then both of the kids will do poorly, or if a class is easy, then but that wasn't the case, and they didn't know I was dyslexic, so it was assumed that I was just a dumb one uh, for a while. Uh, and they didn't figure out I was dyslexic till I was like twelve. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, it's um, it's just a little different. It's not, it's not the end of the world, but um, it's it does, I think, um, just force you to to learn a different way. And I think you're t- spot on. Like empathy is such an important skill that. So that I feel like I am always trying to get better at. And uh, it's something that I feel like kids don't innately have for each other.
0: No, no, they do not.
1: <laughs> because being a kid is a little bit competitive, too, because you're always trying to be the best and, uh, and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting.
0: So next, um, next question, Desert Island movies. So have you ever watched The Office? Yes. Have you, so I'm assuming you've probably seen the episode where where Ryan starts the fire and they're outside and they're playing desert island movies. So you get, you get five movies, you're on a desert island for the rest of your life. Which five movies would you pick?
1: <laughs> so I actually have a list. I used to, oh, this is, this is a question I, yeah. Oh, it's on my other phone. Um, okay, so I've updated my list recently because there are a couple new ones that I absolutely fell in love with, and, and I've been using the same list of five for many years. So let's see if I can remember my new list. Um, the post, um, the butler, um, let's see. The butler it was really good. It Who's, was that? Really sad. Who's
0: that with? I, I feel like I remember it. No, it might
1: have been Denzel Washington. Okay. Let's see. Uh, American Made. Did you see that one? I have not. Oh, I, man. I have so not good. seen any of these. Wow. Oh, they're very political, actually, so far. Um, let's see. I should do I don't remember my other two, so I'm going to add in some from the original five, which would be closer.
0: Okay, I've seen
1: that one. Yeah. And um, something funny like uh, clerks.
0: Clerks, yeah. You gotta have, if you're on a desert island, you gotta have something funny. Can't all be serious or political. So, I it's funny that you mentioned that there has been flux in your top five, because I, there has been flux recently in my, in my top five, because I watched, uh, for the first time recently, The Greatest Showman. Okay. Developed, uh, well, so my wife and I come from singing singing backgrounds, so, and that's not something uh, a lot of people know about, about me. And so anything that gets into the musical genre, um, uh, Les Mis, when they redid that, we both really liked that. But then The Greatest Showman, which is like 50% singing, was was awesome. And obviously the common thread in both of those is Hugh Jackman. Um, who I thought did an amazing job, and I and I also realized that I have an amazing man crush on Hugh Jackman. <laughs> so yeah, so that movie has um, definitely I think displaced, uh, and our kids love the movie because all the songs in in it are really awesome. If you haven't if you haven't seen it, and so we have been playing that in our in our car. We have a a, vid- uh, a video. Uh, in our car and we've been pretty much playing that on repeat since we've watched it so our kids know all the songs and they're like play the greatest show man play. so like after i i know that it's a desert island movie because i've literally listened to it 200 times probably now and it's still good so yeah <laughs> so yeah so no that's um that's awesome and you know i i i've never i don't think with the exception of closer seen any of those other other movies that's the amazing. post
1: was so good
0: that's amazing um oh wait i
1: this. thought of one that's on my new list that needs to displace one of them argo argo's another really good one.
0: Oh, that's with ben affleck right yeah okay yeah i have i i like ben affleck a lot a lot of people are divided on him i like his work a lot
1: i like him if you watch argo and american made they're good together because they're about Governments getting away with tricking their people. Yeah,
0: which is given today's, which is today's terrifying climate. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a little terrifying. Um, okay.
1: And the post is kind of like that too,
0: and yeah. I can't believe you didn't
1: see the post because like it won
0: a bunch of awards. Oh man! Well. I haven't, so I used to, I would say I used to be a big movie, movie buff. And lately I haven't with, I, so I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old haven't had as much time to watch adult, adult movie, (laughs) adult movies. Um, But yeah, no, it's, it's, it'll definitely be on my, on my list to watch. Um, So last couple of last couple of questions, then I'll, then I'll let you go. Uh, Totally again, non-serious what's on your music app and what is, if, if, you had to go to the electric chair. What would be your last meal?
1: Okay. I don't listen to a lot of music right now. I go through phases of music, but my default music is usually just country music. Okay. Um I grew New- up in Texas.
0: New or old country. 90s country. Okay, yes. Because I feel like now country is really just pop repurposed. Yeah, it perfect. is.
1: And it's okay. Yeah. But um, But I usually listen to audiobooks more than I listen to music, like in the car. It's, it's constant audible, or podcast, but mostly audible. Nice.: And um, so, last meal would literally just be coffee and chocolate. Wow? <laughs> wow. Like, I don't like. I'm a simple girl. You have
0: like? Do you just have a sweet tooth, or just love chocolate that much?
1: I've always loved chocolate, and then years ago I quit smoking by replacing cigarettes with chocolate, and I've never been able to kick that habit. Where now, when I'm like anxious or nervous, I want a piece of chocolate yeah. instead of a cigarette.
0: I guess that's good. I think that's good. <laughs> it's an
1: improvement. It's if, if there's gotta be an addiction, at least this one won't give me lung cancer. Right, right. And then coffee just is what makes me human. Now wait, do you like,
0: cause I, I'm not a coffee person, but my wife is, do you like regular coffee, like black coffee? Or are you like the Starbucks, I need like all kinds of extra stuff in it, coffee?
1: I add cream and sugar but it's not a fancy frappuccino or a latte or or anything like that just cream and sugar with uh usually I drink americanos which is espresso and water so it's like it's kind of like coffee but it's usually a richer taste
0: All right so yeah so that fits so with uh with chocolate and coffee you're uh, you're officially simple <laughs> not complicated <laughs> I'm a happy camper if I have those two things. Yeah. So where can people follow you?
1: Let's see. So they can follow me on Twitter um, at Suzix S-U-Z-Z-I-C-K-S. And um, But they can be warned that sometimes my tweeting gets political. So if you want to avoid political tweets or just nonsense tweets about my dog, then um, you can just follow Mobile Moxie, M O B I L E M O X I E, and uh, I tweet largely the same stuff there, minus uh, the nonsense and politics.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. Like, you can follow me, but you're also going to watch me rant about the Cleveland Browns because I'm a big Browns fan. So, like, yeah, follow at your own risk. So, <laughs> awesome. Well, you. Uh, thank you for coming on. Um, I thought you gave really, uh, honestly, this was a really amazing interview, really, um, really amazing. And in some cases, I thought really groundbreaking, groundbreaking stuff that we talked about. So thank you so much for, for joining me and uh, spending a little over an hour uh, on the horn with me here.
1: Absolutely. It's been a blast. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thank you for watching the Page Two Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can support this show by tapping the link in this episode's description or visit anchor.fm forward slash page two podcast to become a monthly supporter. That's anchor.fm forward slash page the number two podcast. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Follow me on Twitter at Jacob Stoops. Thanks again, everybody, and see you next episode.